Hey there, AL East baseball fans. We are this close to opening day coming up later this week, and we are going to be talking all things AL East baseball on this episode, an AL East crossover here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I am Connor Newcomb, host of Locked On Orioles. We've got Lauren Campbell here, host of Locked On Red Sox. We've got Ulysses Sambrano here, host of Locked On Rays. We've got Stacey Gotsoulias here, host of Locked On Yankees. And we don't have a Blue Jays host right now, but I'll be uh, stepping in and representing Toronto from time to time in this episode as well. But uh, we're going to hit everything we need to to preview this season in the AL East, where there are four potential World Series contenders and the Orioles as well. So first of all, how's everybody doing and how excited are we to get this baseball season started? Very excited. It's fine. I'm ready. Here. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Counting the days. Yeah. All right, so we're we're starting this crossover with the first question, which is who wins this division? And I'm going to let each of you make your case because there is no case to be made on my end. And even if the 1% probability happened for the Orioles, I think the upper echelon is like 81 wins if everything was maxed out. So we'll start with Lauren, because your team went the furthest in the postseason last year with the Red Sox. Good looking run to the ALCS. So give the elevator pitch, Lauren. Why will the Red Sox win the division in 2022? They had a, a strong offseason with the acquisition of Trevor Story. I think that certainly boasts this lineup. They have a very, very deep top six. And then you get into seven, eight, nine. You still have Bobby Delbeck. And if he mirrors what he did last year at the second half of the season, then you just kind of hope for the best between eight and nine hitters, probably Christian Vasquez, JBJ, Christian Arroyo. Pick it, you know, pick and choose who you want to put in those two spots. Um, they are still a very strong team. They have a lot of momentum on their side. And I cannot stress enough the importance of Alex Cora to this team. The players love playing for him. They they hear him and he hears his players, which I think is very, very important. And the pitching, there's there's still tons of questions surrounding this pitching. But if they can put up the runs and they can their their starting pitchers can get them deeper into games than they did last season then they could be ALE's champs, but it's going to be very difficult. This division is always very tough. Yeah, and we uh, we know how tough it can be with four teams that, I mean, tried to all get into the postseason last year, and three out of four did, and one came oh so close. But let's go to the team next that did win this division last year, and that is the Tampa Bay Rays, who maybe didn't have you know the biggest stars on the team, but that hasn't been their forte, and they won enough games to win this division. Of course, we're taken out by the Red Sox and the ALDS. But Ulysses, you know, give us the pitch on why the Rays could make it back-to-back AL East divisions. Uh, it would be back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. Ah, that's that's correct. All right, so that would be pretty impressive. Uh, I think the the way that this team is constructed ever since 2008 has been on pitching and defense. And when you look at the pitching, that one word that comes to mind is that D word, depth. And it's, it's incredible when you look at that 40-man roster and the Rays are just, have become just a pitching factory. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if the guy has been a journeyman for 10 years. It does, he still will produce with the Rays. It doesn't matter if the guy was, was selling solar panels in Florida. He will throw a mean slider, and, and, and in 30 innings pitch, he'll have a 230 ERA. So that's what's going to propel this team in 162 games where the spring training was shortened 
uh, the guys that they have will just be rotated in and out. Nobody wants to um, see a guy go six innings and 120 pitches. That's not the way that they're going to do it. They're going to do it with the numbers that they're able to have. So that's what you have to focus in on. And then plus, on the other side, the hitting has never been this good, ever. The Rays had always struggled into getting some offense in their teams, and last year they were one of the best run-scoring teams, not only of the American League, but of MLB. So the names are still there. Brandon Lau, Austin Meadows, Randy Rosarena. And of course, everybody wants to see what Wander Franco can do in a 162-game season. So honestly, the depth of the pitching is there, and this is the best offense this franchise has ever had. Yeah, and the other thing about that Rays offense, I mean, the platoons will continue to be everywhere. And you know, they will find someone who might be in AAA right now or who we don't know about right now who's going to be a huge platoon guy for the Rays this year that that maybe Ulysses isn't even thinking about right now. And that's <laughs> exactly. what they continue yeah. to do every year. But Stacy, on the Yankees front, obviously they were in the postseason last year. It was short-lived in the wildcard game loss to the Red Sox. So what is the pitch for the Yankees, not just getting back to the postseason, but avoiding that you know, wildcard scenario this year and winning the AL East? Everyone's staying healthy, which is always a big problem with the Yankees, although two of the guys that they thought weren't going to stay healthy last year actually did, Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. Everyone's upset about the offseason not being that great for them and thinking that this is such a horrible team. But if you look at the lineup, it's not. (laughs) If all those guys stay healthy and they hit relatively well from top to bottom, that's a pretty good lineup. The biggest question is the pitching staff, obviously, because behind Garrett Cole, pretty much everyone in the rotation is a question mark. But stranger things have happened, and you never know. The Yankees could pull off winning the division in some strange fashion. But um, I don't know. I It's like you said at the open, the AL East has gotten so strong. It used to be where the Yankees could afford to kind of coast because the rest of the division wasn't good. Or maybe one other team was with them at the top. You know, sometimes they would fight off the Red Sox. Sometimes they'd fight off the Orioles. Sometimes they'd have to fight off the Blue Jays. Now it's four teams at the top (laughs) of this dogfight. And I feel like it's going to be the same thing in 2022 that it was in 2021. It'll be fun, but that's what I think it's going to happen. Yeah, it'll certainly be fun. And, you know, I, I gave the spiel on why the Orioles won't be in this. But again, I'll represent the Blue Jays here and why they can do it. They've kind of been building to this. I mean, we saw what it looked like last year for Toronto. They ended up, what, two games out of the playoffs at the end of the year, but they were, they were right in it. They, you know, they were a game back in that final series. They smashed the Orioles. I mean, though I have never seen one major league team look that much better than another major league team than that last series last year when the Blue Jays had everything to play for. And, of course, the 50-win Orioles had nothing to play for. And they did all they could to get in, and it was just you know a couple of really the, a tough loss to the Yankees in that series before in Toronto really was the difference. Um, and, and the Blue Jay bullpen, that was kind of the issue, but they've gotten a little stronger. And look, I mean, Vlad Guerrero is an MVP candidate. They did lose Marcus Semien, but they've replaced him with Matt Chapman with a, a big-time trade with Oakland. And the other thing is, you know, Robbie Ray was so good last year, they lost Robbie Ray, you know, the Cy Young winner. Well, they bring in Kevin Gaussman. They bring back Jose Barrios. You know, they continue to mold some of their young pitchers. And then you add in basically every son of a former big leaguer in their lineup <laughs> to go along with Guerrero, you know, anchoring the middle. And this team has a really dangerous lineup, a really good pitching staff. There's still questions about the bullpen. 
but they can hit with anybody in this division. They are scary. And here's the other thing. Playing in Toronto this year is going to be an advantage for the Blue Jays. Unvaccinated players, at least to start the year, are not going to be able to play in Toronto. And we know, you know, it looks like each of the four teams in this division to varying degrees have some sort of issue with that and are going to be missing players and and maybe some key players in this division. And so that's going to make up for them having to play at three different ballparks, you know, throughout the last two years. (laughs) And just with what they've done this offseason and, you know, what they've done with this lineup, I think uh, they have a, a pretty good shot to compete this year, despite losing literally the Cy Young winner and a top three candidate in MVP voting. I think they're going to be just as good this year. But, you know, I think to uh, kind of finish up on who wins the division, those were the pitches. But, you know, we'll kind of go back around the clock. And and Lauren, you know, you, that was, uh, you know, a little bit with your heart, probably. I know you would love to see the Red Sox win the division. But when you rank out one through five, how you think these standings will go, what do you think it'll be at the end of the year? So I think the Blue Jays will ultimately win the division. I just think that team, despite the bullpen issues, is just too complete. Uh, so I think they'll they'll take the top spot in the division. I think the Rays will finish second, and I think the Red Sox will finish third, just narrowly above the Yankees. I think it's going to be a fight between those two. And unfortunately for the Orioles, you know, number five. But uh, I don't think that's a surprise there. Yeah, Ulysses, where do you where do you come in with those five? I think Lauren has it. Uh, I, I do have to rep. I do think that the race, I, this team was a hundred win team and, and they have so many guys coming back from injury. I really like what they can do, but I mean, it, you can't avoid looking at that Toronto team and kind of saying, wow, okay, they've got the odds of taking first place there. So I think it might be a, a toss up, but I do, I do like the three, four, uh, five, like Lauren said. And Stacy, hmm, Toronto, Tampa, Yankees, Red Sox, Orioles, but Yankees and Red Sox are going to be—they'll be like in a dogfight down to the end, and something will happen where the Yankees just might finish maybe a game ahead of them. Like it's going to be really close, and I feel like the Red Sox and the Yankees are going to be right behind the Rays as well. Like I just—it's going to be really close. I. It's going to be really close, and we're all going to need Xanax by the end of the season, so it'll be fun. It's a four-headed monster. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it's, yeah. it's yes. ridiculous. Does everyone and, think? And you could say that the best teams in the American League could come from the same division. It's really going to be – if you're an ALEs fan of any of these teams, you're just going to have a ball watching these <laughs> these teams go at it. Yeah. Does everyone think all four will be in the playoff race all year? Yes. Oh, I yeah. think so. Yeah I, I yeah, I think I agree. And then I'll give my division standings, you know – I'm, everybody's getting burned by the Rays every year. So give me the Rays again. I, I just think with all the depth and, you know, I don't know about their starting pitching this year. I think it has a little more questions. Obviously, Shane Boz will see, you know, I don't know the status of, of if they could have class now at, at any point this year. But at the end of the day, they're going to find guys and I trust them to do that. I would have Toronto number two and then... The Yankees just have so much offense. I would put them three with the Red Sox closely behind at number four. And obviously the Orioles just trying to uh, avoid 100 losses. But uh, next up, we're going to talk about who won the offseason because that's a big part of this because these teams are so close together. It could really come down to who made the best additions to their team. But if you want to make a good addition to your body, maybe check out Athletic Greens because – 
I started taking Athletic Greens because I just wanted, well, better gut health at one point, more energy, really key in on more energy. Because listen, this is five days a week to podcast here. And, you know, maybe the Baltimore Orioles don't energize me every time I watch them play baseball. But Athletic Greens helps, and, and that's why I started taking Athletic Greens. And, and here's the best part about it. It's lifestyle friendly, goes with any diet. And, you know, what is this stuff? You just take one delicious scoop and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and you just take one, mix it up in water, and and there you go. And it, it supports better sleep and it supports mental clarity. These athletic greens just help you throughout your day. And right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition, especially heading into the cold and flu season. Just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash MLB network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash MLB network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So speaking of picking up insurance, that's what all these teams try to do this year because these were you know, four good teams and one really bad team last year. So it was all about how can we get incrementally better heading into 2022 as we are here at our AL East preseason roundtable. Connor Newcomb here from Locked On Orioles, Lauren Campbell from Locked On Red Sox, Ulysses Zambrano from Locked On Rays, and Stacey Gotsoulias from Locked On Yankees. So three out of four of us picked the Blue Jays to win the division. I took the Rays. But now the question is, you know, who made their team better going into 2022? So we will start with Lauren once again. And this is not as much as make the pitch for the Red Sox, but just give us the quick, maybe, you know, top three additions that Boston made this offseason that, you know, will help hopefully for the Red Sox propel them to maybe even further than the ALCS and potentially try to get to a World Series this year. Yeah, I mean, Trevor Story highlights their offseason moves. It was really their biggest offseason move. Um, biggest question with him is how he'll fare at second base because he'll play second, at least for this year, with Xander Bogarts manning shortstop. And then from there, you can just kind of plug and play who you think is the, the next three. I mean, they signed Michael Waka, who you're not really sure what he's going to give you for this rotation. James Paxton, who may not even pitch this season. And they bring back Hansel Robles, who what it was I'm just pass and it's you just look they really needed bullpen help and they didn't get the bullpen help in the offseason um so I I guess Trevor Story Michael Waka and then whoever you want in number three for the offseason um maybe maybe that'll be Travis Shaw who can opt out of his contract after today or tomorrow or whenever that was um but They could have done so much more, but I'm happy overall. But when you look at what the Blue Jays did, you you look at the Red Sox and you're like, you could have done something like that. Yeah. Well, let's get to the, what the blue what the Blue Jays did because I'll uh I'll I'll peek in here with the Blue Jays offseason. I mean, I think we're going to get to this, but this is one of the more impressive offseasons in all of baseball this year for Toronto. I mean, it's hard to pick the top three moves. I think they obviously would be number one to me was getting Matt Chapman. I think being able to replace Marcus Semien and his production. Now, Chapman had a down year last year in Oakland, but what we've seen from Matt Chapman before that was like borderline AL MVP candidate for you know a couple years in Oakland. He will lock down third base, which was kind of the one hole 
for the Blue Jays last year. They had some injuries there. They were playing Santiago Espinal there a lot. And, and Kevin Smith, who actually got sent back um, to Oakland in that trade, was a young guy. They played there a little bit. They, they had some, some different guys over at third. So he's going to help there. And then obviously, you know, you lose Robbie Ray, but you bring in Kevin Gaussman, who was kind of the Robbie Ray of the NL. He didn't finish the year as strong and, and didn't end up winning the NL Cy Young, but he was the front runner around the All-Star break to win that award. And then they lock up Jose Barrios, who they traded for at the deadline last year. They signed him to a seven-year extension. I mean, that's what, what you call locking up that rotation. And, you know, those are three major moves, but that wasn't even it. I mean, they signed Yusei Kikuchi, who probably wasn't as good as the Mariners thought he was going to be in their rotation. But if he's like their number five starter, I mean, that's fantastic. I wanted the Orioles to sign him as their number two starter. So that puts that into perspective a little bit. <laughs> uh, they traded Randall Grichuk for Rymel Tapia from the Rockies. Probably a little bit of an upgrade in terms of what they needed in the outfield. Tapia has been a, a solid player and was a, a top prospect for Colorado. And, you know, they did add to the bullpen. They signed Yimi Garcia, who was with the Marlins and, and, of course, went to the World Series with the Astros. It's probably the one thing they needed to do a little bit more was add to the bullpen. But at the end of the day, I mean, they did a whole lot. So the question is, the Blue Jays are coming for the top of the division. Ulysses, what did the Rays do this offseason? What were kind of the three big moves or the three top moves that they did to try and maintain that number one spot? I think they tried to address each part of what makes up a baseball team. Number one, they, they wanted to focus on the starting rotation. So what did they do? They got Yankee legend, uh, Corey Kluber, uh, to join Tampa Bay. Uh, so that was how, how you kind of, I, I see him as the Charlie Morton of 2022 for the Rays. Like get a veteran guy in there. You see the names for, for the Rays starting rotation. They're all 23 years old. Drew Rasmussen, Shane Boss, Shane McClanahan, Luis Patino. I mean, these guys haven't even hit 25. Um, so you needed a veteran guy that can show them how it's done. So they did that with Corey Kluber. Number two, the bullpen, Brooks Raley. An intriguing sign because the race never really spent a lot of money, well, on anything. But in the bullpen, they get fungible guys. So why are you putting so much money and so many a couple, two, three years on Brooks Raley, you must see something. That front office must see something in Brooks Raley that can be, this could be a, a big piece for us. And number three, I could say Harold Ramirez because he can fit that um, that right-handed side of the platoon. Apparently, he's uh, fielding some grounders at first. I don't know how deep that goes. Of course, he plays in the corner outfield. So it'll be interesting to see how they manage him. Maybe he just DHs for the team. Again, Nelson Cruz is no longer with the team. So you needed that pop from the right-hand side, and maybe that's what Harold Ramirez is. But if I can add one more thing, I would definitely say that all Rays fans were extremely happy about the Rays actually doing something that they never do, spend money. And that Wander Franco extension for 11 years, $182 million, it can go to 12 years and $223 million. I would say that that's what made this offseason a success. All race fans were really happy to see the front office spend money on a guy who could be a perennial MVP candidate. Yeah, they, they locked up one of the best prospects we've ever seen and, and could turn into one of the best players we've ever seen. But Stacy, I'm assuming you're going to talk about the trade with Minnesota, but where does that kind of rank in, in you know, what we're going with top three moves of the Yankees offseason? Well, the top three moves, getting someone who can actually play shortstop, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, he's not going to hit 
20 home runs, but they don't need him to hit 20 home runs. He hits pretty consistently, and as long as he helps the defense, which was a big problem, especially in the infield for the Yankees, that's a big plus. Josh Donaldson, if he stays healthy, could hit possibly 25 home runs for the Yankees, which is another big upgrade. And Yankee fans won't have to see Gary Sanchez behind the plate anymore. So that's... <laughs> I I love Gary Sanchez. I always defended him, but I feel like he needed a change of scenery. Minnesota will probably be better for him. And yeah, I think not having him back there is going to be better for him and better for the Yankees. So those are <laughs> those are the three moves. Yeah, they probably just needed a clean break there. I think yeah. everyone kind of felt like it was time and we'll see what he can do with the Twins. I guess I'll go over quickly what the Orioles did and and emphasis on quickly. Um, before the lockout, they spent uh, the most money that Michael Elias has on any free agent since taking over in 2019. Uh, one year, $7 million for Jordan Lyles, who will eat innings. He threw almost 200 innings last year for a bad Texas Rangers team. Now, his stats were bad, but he never got hurt. So there's that. Uh, they signed Rugnet Odor, who filled in for the Yankees last year. Uh, the Yankees and the Rangers are paying Odor his entire contract. So the Orioles are just paying him the minimum for one year. He'll play some second base. And uh, he's a good cheerleader, too. He'll be the first yes. one out of the dugout whenever someone hits a home run. So yes. that'll be fun for you to watch. <laughs> and uh, that's that's pretty much what it looks like. Some Orioles fans thought they might be in on Carlos Correa. That didn't end up happening. He went to the Twins. And the O's didn't get much better at all at the major league level. They're going to get better because of prospects coming up, which we'll talk about in a minute. But are we all on the same page that Toronto is the offseason winner? From this yes. division. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Oh, yes. <laughs> and and kind of the question is, is that the big thing that made most of us pick them to win the division? It's splashy. It, yeah. it yeah. gets the highlight. So the spotlight's on them, which honestly could we, – we'll see how that fares because the Yankees have had that for years, the spotlight on them, and they can succeed. The Red Sox have done that for years, and, they, and they've been okay. The Rays, since 08 – they, they, they never have the spotlight because nobody ever picks them. So they have a chip on their shoulder. So it's a different kind of uh, scenario there. Will the young guys from Toronto be able to step up when everybody has their eyes on them? It'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I forgot to mention Robinson Chirinos was the other major league contract the Orioles gave out to oh, right. uh, be their oh, number two yeah. catcher. So, yeah, exciting, exciting offseason. But I think we do agree that Toronto – uh, did win this offseason. And, you know, you look at the uh, you look at the odds for this division because of Toronto. And I mean, the funny thing is, like, you know, all these teams are, are kind of close at the top. And then you look at the Orioles and the betting odds are just I mean, you'd be just throwing away money if you picked Baltimore <laughs> to win this division. But if you want to get a look at even more betting odds, head over to betonline.net because obviously we've got baseball season coming up this week. They've got all the future lines over there. They've got team win totals, who wins divisions, home run over-unders, the awards as well. But, of course, there's also the NBA playoffs coming up soon, the NHL playoffs coming up soon, the Masters are soon as well. I know a lot of people uh, like to take a look at the golf lines, but you can look at it all at betonline.net. And they've also got your favorite sports scores. You, you want to check the score, you can head to betonline.net. You want to listen to a podcast, you can head to betonline.net. You just want some news, betonline.net has it as well. It's got all your sports wagering needs and also your favorite Vegas casino games. Hey, you don't want to lay some money on some sports you want to just, you know, feel like you're at a casino, you can do it there as well. So make sure to head over to betonline.net for all your sports wagering needs. That's betonline.net where the game starts. 
So we're here with our AL East roundtable as the uh, season starting in just a couple of days. Connor Newcomb here, host of Locked on Orioles. Lauren Campbell is with us, host of Locked on Red Sox. Ulysses Sambrano is here, host of Locked on Rays. And Stacey Gatsouli is the host of Locked on Yankees. So we've talked about who's going to win the division, and it was 75% Blue Jays. We talked about who won the offseason. It was 100% Blue Jays. So things have been looking good for Toronto, despite them not having a host right now in this crossover. However, (laughs) what we want to get to next is where the Orioles finally join the conversation. And that is, which farm system is looking the best right now? And who has the most talent, maybe not at the majors just yet, but ready to come up in a couple of years? Because, listen, there's four teams ready to compete now. And one team hopefully ready to compete soon. So because of kind of the nature of this question, I wanted to turn it over to Ulysses first, actually, because the Rays have been known for finding and developing talent that seemingly nobody else is finding. So we know Wander Franco is now in the big leagues. He was the former number one prospect in baseball. So in terms of the farm system, we know the Rays still have a top 10 farm, but maybe start us with, you know, one pitcher and one hitter who we probably don't know about yet, but they're coming this year to help the Tampa Bay Rays. I'd say uh, the flash name, of course, is Shane Boss, but we all know him. Uh, so the second name uh, would be Tommy Romero. Um, this guy has really uh, thrown about 400 plus innings in the minors. He's ready. He doesn't have anything else to, to, to show. And again, we, when we talk about depth with the Rays, this is a guy that if they need 30, 40, 50 innings during the season, he's going to get the call up because he's already in the 40 man. So he has nothing else to show in Triple A. Of course, he'll start the year there. So that would be my pick uh, on the pitching side. On the hitting side, there's two guys that are going to go head to head, and they went head to head last year too: Vidal Bruhan and Josh Lowe. Of course, uh, what do you need? You need the outfielder that can be a 2020 guy. You got Josh Lowe. You want the utility guy who can play also in the outfield and middle infield. You got Vidal Bruhan. Very, very fast. So it'll be very interesting. I think that is a competition between those two guys on who is going to get the call up first. But all of all of those three guys could see major time in 2022. So let's head it over to Stacy. We know, you know, the Yankees probably honestly their system feels like it's more exciting than it has been recently. And they they've kind of held their prospects closer to the vest, I feel like, recently over the past couple of years. And uh, that might be a reason why they didn't make the giant splash for a shortstop. But, you know, in terms of 2022, who is a pitching prospect and maybe a hitting prospect that could make an impact? Or you could talk to us about kind of those those younger guys who we know the Yankees might be uh, kind of waiting on right now. Yeah, I feel like you'll see guys like Clark Schmidt and Luis Heal again up with the Yankees in 2022, whereas Anthony Volpe, Aswald Peraza, they're a ways off. I mean, if you do see them in 2022, something disastrous happened <laughs> at the major league level. So I don't think that's going to happen. Jason Dominguez is also a long way away because he's literally a baby bomber. I mean, I don't know, what is he, 20? So um, I think Heal and Clark Schmidt could make an immediate impact because the Yankees do need pitching and you could see them. But the Volpe thing, I feel bad for this kid in a way because they didn't make the move for Correa because... They claim the money issues, but it was really they wanted to have someone on the short term, like Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, and wait for Volpe to come up. This kid has so much pressure on him now to be the second coming of Derek Jeter, just hopefully better at defense, 
And I hope that that pressure doesn't get to him when he does finally come up to the major leagues. But I don't expect to see him yet. He has a little ways to go. It's so interesting because even when Judge came up, he wasn't like a top 10 prospect in baseball. He just kind of burst onto the scene. Volpe is going to be a top 10. I mean, I know he's like top 15 a lot of places and top 10 some places. And it's going to be the first time I can remember in a while where the Yankees, you know, we've heard about a prospect for a while and they've kind of been waiting on that prospect instead of just bringing in the next good major league player to fill that position. And then the prospect gets to the majors if he gets to the majors, basically. Right. So this is, this is kind of interesting to see the Yankees do this, but Lauren on the Red Sox side, you know, I know they've got some interesting talent pretty close uh, to the big leagues. And I know they accrued some with the trades they've made over the past couple of years. So is there a pitcher and a hitter who uh, could come up and help the, uh, the Sox in 2022? Uh, I think the biggest name to really watch out for is Tristan Cassis. I mean, he's knocking on the door of his MLB debut and he's, you know, he's been talked about for what seems like forever now among Red Sox fans. And he finished the season in AAA. He impressed there. And it's only a matter of time until he is in a Red Sox uniform. So I think that he's, if it's not this year, it's definitely going to be in 2023. But I can see him making a, a case to be brought up this year. Also, Jaron Duran, we saw, Red Sox fans saw a little bit of him last year. He just kind of needs to figure out the, the defense and the offense. I mean, he's a great athlete, but he's still young and maybe a little rushed last year. But I think he he's knocking on the door to make a return, too, to, to the Red Sox. And as for pitchers, there's big names there, too. You have Brian Mata, Thaddeus Ward, who both underwent Tommy John surgery, but Someone kind of under the radar, I think, would be Zach Kelly. And I think he's probably got the best chance to make his debut with the Red Sox this season because he's primarily been used as a reliever. That's where the Red Sox need a ton of help. And I think he could certainly help this bullpen. So I think that I don't think it'll be long before he's up. I'd say May or June, especially if if Chris Sale isn't back and you're going through a fourth and fifth starter. So I think Zach Kelly is definitely a name to to keep everyone's eyes on. Yeah, I wanted to uh, give the the Blue Jays update update here, excuse me, real quick, because they did trade from a lot of their prospect depth over the past couple of years in the Barrios trade, in the Chapman trade, and good on them. They made their team better by doing that. Really the one guy to know, Gabriel Moreno, who is their number one prospect in Toronto. He's a catcher, and he's 22 years old, but he could certainly be in the big leagues this year. And it's really interesting because – the Blue Jays have had kind of three or four different catchers, it has seemed, over the past couple of years. And all of them have been solid, but that has been another position for them, kind of like third base last year, where there wasn't like a legit, really good hitter in there every day. Moreno's going to be that guy when he – and it makes the Blue Jays even scarier because they've made these trades without having to deal him. And he has all the tools behind the plate and at the plate. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, yeah, everybody loves watching Alejandro Kirk run around the bases. And yeah, you know, Danny Jansen's had some big hits for them. But we're going to see Moreno at some point, and it's just going to make that lineup even better. But uh, here's my time to shine in this conversation. The Baltimore <laughs> Orioles farm system, which many outlets have ranked number one in baseball. Uh, most have them clearly in the top five across baseball. And of course, they have maybe not the consensus number one prospect, because I know a lot of people like Bobby Witt and like Julio Rodriguez. But more places than not, Adley Rutschman is the number one prospect in baseball, the number one pick in 2019. Switch hitting catcher, incredible defender, even better hitter, awesome power, awesome hit duel from both sides. He would have been, I believe, actually. I actually think the Orioles wouldn't have manipulated his service time, and he would have been on the opening day roster if not for a tricep strain that he suffered in spring training. He has returned to 
doing catching stuff, receiving pitches, you know, practicing plays at home. He hasn't started throwing or hitting yet, which means he's not going to be back for opening day. Now, you know, people could say, oh, they might milk this injury a little bit, wait the two weeks, say he's still injured, and all of a sudden, oh, he's back from injury, and they've gotten the extra year of service time, which you may not be wrong. However, it is a legitimate injury because he hasn't played in a spring training game basically all spring because he got the injury early. But he's going to be the O starting catcher when he comes up this year and hopefully for many, many years to come. And then behind him, the Orioles have two pitching prospects, the number two and three prospect. They're, both of them are top 100 in baseball. In some places, both are top 50. Of course, it starts with Grayson Rodriguez, who is the number one pitching prospect in baseball, a right-hander who the O's took in the first round at a high school a few years ago. He's starting the year in AAA. He's got good stuff. I mean, a fastball, 97-98, devastating changeup, really good breaking ball. I mean, people have fallen in love with him as a prospect, dominated double-A last year. He'll be in triple-A for the first couple of months of the season, and then if it's going well, he's going to join the Orioles' rotation this year, and you're finally going to see like some legitimate, watchable young players on the Orioles this season. Is it going to lead to more wins? Probably not that many more. Maybe they'll avoid 100 losses. But those two, and then the last guy is D.L. Hall, who's the Orioles' number three prospect, a left-hander who came in, in his spring training debut on Monday against the Phillies, was throwing 100 miles an hour, got two strikeouts, one against Mickey Moniak, the former number one overall pick by the Phillies. Uh, he's got a sweeping, devastating wipeout slider, throws 100. A lot of people think he's a future Josh Hader. I think he's more of a Blake Snell, and he'll stick as a starting pitcher. But he's going to be with the Orioles probably in the second half of the season. And so at the end of the day, the O's are going to lose a lot of games. But... They're going to have some more exciting young players. And I did kind of want to ask this question because we know there's good prospects in all these systems and, you know, they have players coming, but all the talent is at the major league level for the other four teams in the division. So I kind of wanted to quickly ask all of you guys, do you see the Orioles becoming a threat at all? Like, does the fact that they finally have like a legit top farm system worry any of your teams or because they really haven't spent the money to help it yet it's not even a worry because there's three other good teams i don't think it's a worry i think it would be kind of cool if all five least teams were good <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would scare the hell out of every other division in the al um no i welcome it i think it'd be great i'd like i would like we spoke about this last season when we did a crossover i would love for the orioles to be good again and be in the race again because as stressful as 2012 was that was a fun last month when the Orioles and Yankees were playing back and forth and that division series was also you know and it's just a shame that you know it's taking them a while to get back to things but they're moving in the right direction yeah I definitely think there's hope for them to be good sooner rather than later and and Stacey nailed it I mean we want all these teams to be good we want the constant competition it's Yeah, it's stressful, but it's when everyone is good, it makes for it's more fun to watch these games, especially later in the season. If everyone's kind of neck and neck and the game 162 can mean everything. So if the the Red Sox and the Orioles or the Red Sox and the Yankees, Red Sox raise their game 162, then and they're going for top seed in the AL East. If they're going for number two to try to avoid the wild card. It's going to be really, really fun. The AL East has always been stacked, but it's much more fun when all five teams are in the playoff race. I I already think the AL East is hands down 
in my opinion, the ha- hands down the best division in baseball, uh, just by, by the terms of what kind of baseball and the rosters that you can see. But with the Orioles, maybe let's say 2024, when the young guys have gotten maybe a, a little bit more taste, kind of what the Toronto Blue Jays showed maybe last year, 2021, that could be the Orioles in a couple of years. And that would be so, so entertaining for baseball. I mean, if it's already the best division in baseball and the Orioles actually have that talented group really clicking in all cylinders, I, I think that would be just a joy to watch. Yeah. I mean, listen, the Orioles got clobbered by Tampa and by Toronto last year, but they did take two out of three against Boston in the second to last series of the year. Almost was a huge detriment to Boston's playoff chances had they not kind of turned things around against the Nats. And the O's went eight and 11 against the Yankees last year, which was one of the main reasons why, at the very least, you know, New York didn't get to host the wildcard game and was a big reason why they weren't more in the division race by the end of the year and had to settle for that wildcard game as the Orioles played really well against them. So they've at least got that and they're, you know, not backing down against some of the division foes, but we will see. So uh, let's finish up this, this crossover, this roundtable here with just, you know, you go into 2022 for your teams and we'll start with Stacy here to wrap it up. What is like the number one storyline for the Yankees going into the season, what the fans, what the New York media is talking about the number one thing that, you know, fans across the division need to know about the Yankees heading into this year. Hmm. I don't actually, I don't, I don't know if there's one specific thing to talk about with the Yankees. Um, I think that most people just want to see how everyone reacted to them not signing any big players in the offseason and seeing how everyone basically flipped out about that. Um, it'll just be interesting to see how the Yankees do without signing a big shortstop because they were linked to everyone and then didn't get anyone. So that might be fun for other teams to other teams' fans to watch to see how Isaiah Kiner Falefa does, how um, they may play Gleyber Torres as short stop again in some games, hopefully not a lot. So, you know, um, and the whole pitching thing, you know, it's like Garrett Cole and then <laughs> everyone after him. So that'll be another interesting storyline, too, to watch out for. And, you know, Garrett Cole himself might actually be the biggest storyline for the Yankees just to see how he does with the new checking the hand thing (laughs) and if his hamstring stays healthy, you know, and the pressure of being the ace again with a rotation that's not as strong as he would probably like it to be. So maybe that. Yeah. And also will Cole and Donaldson fight in the dugout at any point this year? Also. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. That should be interesting. They did have, there was a video clip where it looked like he was kind of, telling Donaldson to shut up, but I think he was actually talking to someone else and Donaldson was a little more behind him. So it, it, it looked like something was going on, but I don't think there was, <laughs> but hopefully the, you know, I don't want to see a repeat of the Bronx new Yankees where, you know, managers are fighting with players and Reggie Jackson and all that stuff that we don't need that again. <laughs> well, I'll give the spiel on the, on the blue Jays and the Orioles for biggest storyline. I think starting with the Orioles, it's just, can you get, the feet wet basically for all your top prospects. Can you get better production from your kind of middle tier prospects? The Orioles had a lot of, of kind of mid tier prospect guys come up at the end of last year. A lot of pitchers. Um, you may know the names of Alexander Wells, Zach Lowther, Bruce Zimmerman, Dean Kramer, probably because your teams were teeing off on them at times last year. It, it didn't go so great, but they have all these kind of mid-level pitchers who were all top 30 prospects right before they graduated in the Orioles system. 
but none of them were top 10 prospects. They were all kind of smushed right in the middle. And so the Orioles need to find out which of those guys can maybe be starters, which will be relievers, and which of them just aren't going to work out. And that's kind of the big storyline for the O's. That plus having Adley Rutschman, Grayson Rodriguez, and D.L. Hall show that they're not going to be as good as they'll always be this year. They're going to go through growing pains as rookies. But to show that they're kind of ready for the bigs and just get them into the bigs so I feel better about going to the ballpark all the time. Then for the Toronto Blue Jays, it is the exact opposite. It is, can this team take the next step? And, you know, most of us pick them to win the division. Obviously, the next step is get back to the postseason because, you know, you forget that they didn't even make it last year. Now, if they would have had this year's postseason rules in place last year, they would have been the final wildcard team with the extra sixth team in the playoffs. There's a chance to get four teams out of this division in because of that. But for Toronto, it's, you know, have they built this team back up enough? Did they fill the hole of losing Robbie Ray and Marcus Semien? Can all these guys who played so well last year play that well again this year? And the other thing is, you know, will the bullpen kind of be the detriment to them that it was last year? You know, really, Yimi Garcia was the only addition they made in free agency. So kind of the question becomes, I think they're in the playoffs if they have just like an above average bullpen at times last year. And they really had a lot of unknown factors in that pen. But the really question is, can they take the next step? So I'll go to Ulysses here. You know, you have the team that's coming off back to back division championships. And uh, what is that that big overarching storyline heading into the season for the Rays? I think it's that one. I mean, the AL East uh, has been stacked. Every team has won the division practically in the last 12 or 15 years. So uh, can one team with the budget that they have go back to back to back? Uh, that that would be very impressive, especially because this, this whole division is so good. But honestly, I think the, the biggest storyline of all will be what can Wander Franco do in 162 games? Who is he? What is he going to do? Uh, all eyes were on Vladi in 2019, and I think to some extent people were underwhelmed. Is it going to happen the same way with Wander Franco? Or is he just going to Ronald Acuna, Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis this thing and just become one of those guys? And so I think not only Rays fans, but if you love baseball and you see what this guy can do, I think all eyes are going to be on him and, and, and his production this year. And Lauren, your team went the furthest last year, so we'll let you round it out. What is the biggest storyline for the Red Sox heading into this season? Yeah, there's uh, there's quite a few because there's still a ton of you know questions. Big question is can they get back to the ALCS and can they get beyond the ALCS? Um, a lot is you know, a lot of eyes right now are on Chris Sale and how he bounces back from his stress fracture in his ribs when he'll be ready. Uh, Trevor Story, obviously, and a lot of eyes are on him with the the altitude change and if he'll if that will impact him at all and how he plays at second base, the outfield and the bullpen and kind of like the Yankees, you know, you have Nate Valdi, Nick Pavetta, who's trustworthy half the time, and then three, four, five, maybe six if you want to get wild. But there's a lot of questions in that in that rotation, and we saw the pitching struggle last year against the Astros in the ALCS, so. That's probably the biggest question. I know um, a lot of fans really wanted another outfielder. I think with the the amount of utility players that they have, they certainly don't need that. But I think that they're really going to be keeping their eyes on the, on the pitching. And it's been the same old song and dance for the last few seasons. They need bullpen help. So we'll see how, how it goes. And hopefully Matt Barnes can return to form and uh, Ryan Brazier sits out multiple games. <laughs> well, I mean, at the end of the day, it's going to be fun, right? This is going to be a fun division, and I think we're all on board. This is the best one in baseball. 
Yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. 100%. Yeah. So we thank you all for tuning in for our AL East crossover roundtable preseason chat, whatever you want to call it, because we've got baseball in just a few days here. And uh, these five teams are going to kick off what should be a fascinating division race. And as I said, with the expanded playoffs, a legitimate shot for four teams from one division to get into the playoffs, obviously, for the first time ever, which would be uh, very cool to see. And, and I think they all have a legit chance. So for Stacey Gotsoulias, the host of Locked On Yankees, make sure to check out Locked On Yankees if you haven't already. Ulysses Sambrano, host of Locked On Rays. Him and Kevin Weiss do a great job over there. For Lauren Campbell, host of Locked On Red Sox, I'm Connor Newcomb, the host of Locked On Orioles. We thank you so much for tuning in for our crossover and hope you guys are as excited for opening day as we are. But again, this has been the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.